presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of the Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we'll be discussing women and the workforce and the dubbed secession that this pandemic has caused. In Colorado, CSI has been at the forefront of researching this issue. Today, I'm joined by two women who have great insight and personal experience on the topic. My first guest is Heidi Gnoll, founder of Camp Bow Wow and She Factor, along with a fellow board member of mine at CSI, a senior regent, a mom, and a dog mom. This Siri entrepreneur will likely be seen in most places where you and I are from time to time, and she's always on the go. Welcome, Heidi. Hello, Earl. I'm so happy to be here today. In addition to Heidi, we have Nicole Real, President and CEO of Executives Partnering to Invest in Children, EPIC. EPIC is the business community's nonpartisan voice for early childhood care and education. And I know EPIC recently launched a new initiative that aims to help solve the child care issue. Nicole, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Earl. I'm really grateful and honored to join you for this conversation. And Heidi is also a member of EPIC and a businesswoman I've admired for years. So this is a really exciting day for me, and I'm happy to be here. This ought to be an interesting conversation. Before we begin, if you'd like to learn more about the topic, we have a terrific piece on CSI's most recent report regarding the subject titled 10 Months into COVID-19, Colorado Labor Force Impacts Through November 2020. It's on the CSI website. Well, let's get started. This subject has always been important uh, because the she session points out that we have something going on at the present time that really hasn't been noticed much in the past. Before we dig into it, though, I'd like to make one other point as a finance person and uh, with an economics background. If our U.S. economy is going to grow uh, and have the opportunity to grow it as it has in the previous uh, three or four decades, an important part of that growth is labor force growth. And an important part of labor force growth is having women in the workforce and the participation rate of women starting to get close to what is the participation rate with regards to men. If that occurs, the future potential labor, the future potential growth in the economy of the United States could fairly far exceed that of Europe and other developing countries. This topic today will help highlight the importance of what we have to think about if that participation rate for women is to get to the level that we need to achieve the kind of economic growth that would be helpful for our country. So Heidi, I wanna start with you. The latest CSI report shows the impacts of Colorado labor force. We have, I was astonished, one in 10 mothers have left the labor force in Colorado since the start of the pandemic. Heidi, uh, what do you think is going on? What's happening? Well, Earl, as a, as a mom of four children, one is grown up and living in Portland. The other three are small, the twins that are eight and an 11-year-old. I can firsthand talk about the challenge that it has been to juggle our work, our home life, everything else that goes on in our life if we're involved in nonprofits and other things. And 
you know, it's very overwhelming. And, and, you know, I'm blessed to have some help and to have a great community of people around me. My parents live close by and my husband and I are, you know, work pretty well together, but um, a lot of moms don't have that support. And even if we do, it's exhausting, it's overwhelming, and it's just really heartbreaking to see what our kids are going through and what our businesses are going through and our employees as well. So it's just been um, a really tough time. And I think everyone's dealing with it in different ways. But one of the most shocking things in this report was the stat that you spoke of a little bit earlier, that one in every 10 moms who was in the labor force before the pandemic is no longer in it. And I think it's just a matter of practicality that, you know, somebody has to be home with the kids, educating the kids. And a lot of cases, it's the dad, but most of the time it's the mom. Well, let's follow up on the mom and and kind of the bifurcation that's materializing within the female labor force, if we could for a second. The report points out, Heidi, that younger women without children have, uh, they've gone back to the labor force and their participation rate's going back up. But it also points out that women with children, their, their participation rate's lower and they're not going back to the labor force. What's going on? Well, I think it's the unpredictability right now of school and childcare. Even if we do go back to school for a week, we don't know if that's going to get pulled back. It's really complicated and difficult to navigate a really, you know, a a job right now, a career while you're trying to figure out if your kids are going to be in school or homeschooling or what's going to happen over the next week or two ahead. And, And there's no predictor necessarily of how that's going to play out. So you have to just be super flexible, nimble. And a lot of times that means they give up. I think they just give up and decide it's easier just to focus 100% on keeping my family intact, my kids in school and, you know, my, my home going. So I think that's going on. And I also think overall, the labor market, um, you know, the segments that are really focused on women are down, like hospitality and leisure and some of the areas that have been hit the hardest because of the pandemic are where women, a lot of women work and the jobs just aren't there. They're going away. Well, let's kind of dig in a little further into that, Heidi, if we may, and then we're going to get to Nicole. Uh, Heidi, you, you've mentioned uh, women in the labor force and uh, um, the, the, the job uh, arena, the particularly service arena that they happen to focus in. I also noticed that there's a big divergence that's occurring between the younger folks um, and the unemployment level being a bit of an issue for the younger younger members of uh, our working society, male and female. What do you think is happening there? Well, part of what's happening is is young people are graduating from college in the last year or two and finding the labor market almost impossible. And a lot of people are doing the gig economy or contract jobs or even on unemployment until they can figure this out and things get back and going. And I, I I run a company called She Factor with my 25-year-old daughter, and we really focus on helping young women launch their lives after college. And they're they're in a tough spot right now. They're discouraged. They're lonely. They're struggling. You know, not only have they given up their job opportunities, but they've given up the opportunity to have a social life and make friends. And when they move to a new city, build a new life. So it's just they're not in a good place right now. My heart breaks for them. So in effect, you're saying that the employers are being very cautious about adding people 
and the freshly minted uh, graduates we have, as well as any younger folks that don't have experience. I'd like to, Nicole, I want to dig into this child care situation a little bit with you, if we could. You have extensive experience, and you're actually, you know, career-wise focusing on that issue at the present time. What What's going on uh, with the child care situation right now? Heidi mentioned schools are going, you know, vi- virtual, and that, you know, moms are staying home to help the kids out, but what else can you tell about what's going on that's having the the mother not in the workforce or the lower participation rate amongst women, particularly those 35 and older? Well, our child care and education systems really play a critical role in keeping our economy running and making it possible for parents and working mothers to go to work. Uh, you know, as Heidi re- referenced, you know, many school districts going virtual have really had parents scrambling to find new child care arrangements and learning opportunities for their children. Uh, lots of single parent families, women in American households who are still taking on more of the caregiving duties or have lower rate wages than their male counterparts are really feeling pulled in too many directions and have left their jobs to meet the needs of their family. Alternatively, we have a child care system for children birth through five that exists solely in a private market system without the benefit of significant public funding like our public schools have. And those childcare businesses have really tried their best to stay open for families during the pandemic, knowing that many essential workers rely on their services so they can continue to work and provide for their families. However, reduced enrollment stemming from some families pulling their children out of childcare and increased operating costs have really put pressure on their already razor thin margins. And unfortunately, a recent study revealed that we believe about 15% of our community childcare programs have now closed as a direct result of this pandemic. And unfortunately, there are likely more that will continue to reach that breaking point. Uh, Nicole, I want to pursue what you're, you're mentioning here, just a, a little bit of a different vein. Help us out, if you would, a little bit about the child care availability that's out there. And forgive me for describing it as I'm about to do, but, you know, we have Granny with her basement, and she can take three or four kids in. And and then we have the professional child care arena where we can spend thousands of dollars a month if we have multiple children with professionals, what is actually available out there that uh, the professional mother has? Tell us about it. Well, child care has really been an issue in our state for a long time. It's just really been highlighted because of this pandemic. Even though Colorado's economy has experienced record economic growth and our population and workforce participation has continued to climb, the affordability and access to childcare in Colorado has been putting downward pressure on that growth for at least the last decade. Over the past 10 years, Colorado has lost almost a third of our infant childcare slots, and we've seen hundreds of our family childcare homes close, which equated to losing over 11,000 slots for childcare. And before COVID, we had a $2.2 billion annual economic loss in Colorado as a result of our infant and toddler child care crisis. So although child care has gotten more expensive, child care professionals caring for and educating our young children are also still amongst the lowest paid jobs in our state. And we need to change the revenue and expense equation for this industry and address barriers to entry that we have. 
Of course, some families do rely on what we would call informal childcare. So family, friends, neighbors, people like that. And that's great if they have those networks. I'm a working mother that doesn't really have that option. Um, and I think there are many people who would like to provide childcare in their homes, for example, but are unable to do that. And so EPIC will be working to push forward some legislation and rule revisions this year that will help us address some of those barriers to entry for individuals who want to offer childcare in their homes. And will also enable us to develop some childcare facilities in more spaces and innovative ways across the state. It, it seems to me that when we talk about uh, mothers uh, wanting to work or even fathers wanting to work and having to take care of children, but we know it's mostly mothers, that the uh, folks in the lower income uh, strata of, of our economy may even have more of a challenge to uh, pay for any child care regardless of the, uh, the form of it uh, relative to the income they can earn. What's being done for the folks in the lower quintile, two quintiles, so that child care would allow them to uh, allow them to be available? They could go out and maybe make some additional income for the family or income for the family period versus welfare. What's going on there? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Colorado has the sixth highest cost of child care in the country right now. It's very expensive overall. The family child care homes that I spoke about earlier are a great solution to this. Individuals who can provide child care in their homes can provide it in a local community that oftentimes works better for many families. They can offer it at a lower cost for families and they can also be more flexible in their hours. Are they regulated out as an alternative? Is that what you were suggesting in your previous comments? So they are able to become licensed, but there are barriers to entry right now for that industry. For example, you know, someone who may want to become a licensed child care provider um, oftentimes is considered a commercial business when they are seeking that business license and that approval from a county or a city. And oftentimes are being asked to meet commercial type business safety requirements in their homes. For example, being asked to install a full sprinkler system in their home for fire prevention and safety, which we, as we all know, would be really cost prohibitive and difficult for someone to do. So oftentimes, many of those individuals who want to offer childcare in their homes uh, find those processes to be very difficult to get through and will either forego the, the idea of providing childcare or they may just still continue to do it but wouldn't have the support of health or safety resources around them to make sure that you know, they're able to provide that care in the best possible way. Nicole, I don't know if I'm summarizing this correctly, but it sounds to me, if I've heard you correctly, that in the spirit of trying to make certain that uh, uh, we have a safe environment and that the environment is uh, conducive to what people feel would be uh, appropriate for children to be uh, it, uh, spend their time there, we've set up some regulations and some ground rules that have, in essence, increased costs to a level that people can't afford it. And in fact, we might be contributing to uh, the possibility of, of uh, more welfare than actually solving it. Am I extrapolating too much there? Or am I catching the flavor of what you're saying? I think that's a fair assessment. In many cases, that's what we're seeing is happening in local communities. And how do you suggest that that be, uh, uh, I guess, uh, turned around or solved or what the state legislature should be thinking about in order to help resolve the issue? 
Yeah, we're working hard with state legislators and partners across the state to think about what that solution looks like so we can really streamline that process for individuals who want to provide childcare in their homes. One of the ways is to really look at defining a family childcare home as a residence and treating it as such when they are going through zoning or building code or other local regulatory processes. This will also help ensure that they're not being asked to meet certain commercial type criteria that, as we all know, residential homes are really not built to meet um, and will therefore give them a much easier path forward to actually become licensed and provide child care for the families and the children in their communities. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the, the detail which you've been wanting to go into here. Heidi, you're a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, you've launched a business. Uh, you've run the business quite successfully. It ended up being, you know, financially uh, remarkably, uh, I guess, uh, rewarding to you. And at the same time, you recognize that hey, this is not an easy task to be an uh, entrepreneur, let alone be a female entrepreneur. What do you see the challenges and hardships for women today in trying to uh, start their own business and and uh, realize their entrepreneurial desires, particularly with the pandemic? Well, I think that women are in a tight spot right now, Earl, as far as prioritizing and figuring out where their energy can go, because energy is such a, an important resource, uh, not just financial resources to start a business, but really having, you know, the drive and the passion and the time to be able to do it. I mean, even if your kids are in school, the pandemic is adding an extra layer of stress and anxiety that affects your ability to really put all, you know, everything you have into starting a business. And as you well know, too, it takes a commitment of everything you have, energy-wise, financial resources, et cetera, to really get a business off the ground and be successful. So I think it's more of um, an emotional toll than it is a financial issue for a lot of women around starting a business and prioritizing their kids, their families. And if they don't have kids, you know, it's hard to build a support system right now because we're all zoomed out, right? And we just desire to be around other people and communities, the workspaces that we all grew to love and the busy Starbucks, you know, going and working and hearing the buzz in the background. I think we all miss it so much in the entrepreneurial community and we miss seeing each other and supporting each other and having each other's back. I think that's the hardest part. Heidi, help us out if you would. Uh, I have probably, uh, I'm guessing two thirds of our staff is uh, female. I'm sure the folks that are listening to this uh, have you know similar situation possibly. I know half of our professional staff is female, but you know, and many of them are mothers. You know, what steps would you advise us to take uh, to better support the, the women in our workforce? Uh, you know, we like to think we're sensitive, but it's sometimes, you know, insights from uh, those that are in the trenches are appreciated. So what can you, what can you give us as far as a little bit of advice on uh, helping our women, the women and staff members and uh, executives that are in the workforce? Well, I'm glad you asked, girl. And that's the first step is just asking how you can help, how you can be supportive what we can do differently or how we can do our run our businesses differently. I think the other step is having grace. I think it's so needed in all parts of our society right now, but really believing that everyone has good intentions 
and wants to do a good job at work and wants to do a good job with our kids. And we just have to have a lot more grace for each other. And you running, you know, a large organization like you do, we have to have grace for you because you're going through something that we've never been through before. And so I think starting from that vantage point and just reaching across the aisle and shaking hands and figuring out how to support each other and asking a lot of questions and really listening is key. I love the saying, listen to exhaustion, like just keep asking, keep listening, and you'll just learn through those conversations what you should do as a business leader. Thanks, honey. I appreciate that insight. Uh, Nicole, uh, in 2013, you had your daughter and you had an option. Uh, do I stay home and change uh, kind of my life as I uh, had it before the birth of my daughter? Uh, or do I try to balance the career as a mother and and uh, and a professional? What was the aha moment for you and what you decided to do? And what can you share with us that are trying to understand others like yourself and what, uh, you know, what you were faced with, uh, as well as trying to be an effective mother and have an effective career? Yeah, I mean, it's all about balance, right, Heidi? <laughs> so yeah. plenty of women, myself included, want to return to the workforce after they have had a child. I love my job and I feel like I'm a better version of myself when I have my fulfilling career alongside my family. And part of what drives me to do this work is that I realized early on that having two or more children would make it really difficult for any working mom, myself included, to keep her career given the cost and the availability of childcare. And we have plenty of studies that point to what some call the motherhood penalty, which refers to the fact that women who leave the workforce have diminished career opportunities and are sometimes set back in both their career and their wage trajectories. And we also know through studies, including a recent study that was released by the Council for Strong America here in Colorado, that parents who feel like they have access to quality and affordable and reliable child care for their children also have improved productivity and performance at work on all levels. I'll also note that our workforce turnover and productivity issues due to child care lead to a $680 million loss for Colorado employers each year. That's a huge number. Um, I know that you uh, have been quoted as saying uh, you spend $90,000 for child care uh, from the time your daughter was an infant uh, in 2013. That's a, that's a real commitment to making certain your daughter has a, a, a good care is probably a pretty doggone good education for preschool that comes along with that where she gets an advantage. Is I, am I surmising too much there? Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy number, but it's true. Uh, it's a huge cost. And really, we were paying what would be considered market rates for childcare, uh, where our daughter was. And, you know, parents don't have 18 years to save up for childcare like they do college. It's a, it's a tremendous expense for families. And it's one that, unfortunately, many families can no longer bear. Colorado is becoming a much more expensive state to live in as well. So families are trying to balance the cost of childcare with the cost of housing and everything else here. Um, and like I said, we're losing billions in economic growth and revenue each year, as long as this continues for Colorado families. So, you know, again, really looking to solutions. We, we really want to take this very stressed business model of childcare and look at how we can change those expense 
and revenue equations. And, and in particular, looking at the very high cost of real estate we have here in Colorado and the fact that childcare businesses do require lots of real estate and space for children. And so those real estate expenses and commercial property taxes play a huge role in the cost of childcare. Um, and so we are we are looking at ways this next year to really think about how we can improve access to lower cost or free real estate facilities and opportunities so we can create more child care and also at the same time don't have to force a business model that then requires families to pay an extraordinary amount of money for that care as well. Nicole, I want to push back on a little bit of what you said. You you keep talking about affordable child care. Okay, it's expensive, but you have choices. You have choices as to the type of child care you want, as whether you have professional people that have got training, that's a lot more expensive, I would guess, or whether you have more of something as a caregiving type facility, which I would imagine is probably a little bit cheaper. And you've talked about regulations causing some issues. So how do you envision that the expense will go down? Are you suggesting some kind of a, a government subsidization? Or are you suggesting some kind of an earned income tax credit that's made available to people, which is another way of, of subsidizing the cost? What are you suggesting? I think there are solutions on multiple fronts here. So to start with, uh, again, looking at what is driving the cost of child care, uh, the highest expense driver is labor. And of course, we want to make sure that children have these, you know, quality trained professional caregivers who can work with them and make sure they're safe and healthy and learning. Uh, secondly, the largest cost driver is the cost of real estate and facilities and operations around that. So again, trying to look at ways we can reduce those expenses. Um, and if possible, tap into other types of funding streams. Colorado did pass a universal preschool initiative on the ballot this past November called Proposition EE. And so EPIC will be working very hard to make sure that model is implemented in such a way that supports families having access to the preschool of their choice and that those funds are used very effectively and efficiently to lower the cost of preschool and serve our Colorado families well. Um, I think on the flip side, there's a lot we could do to support the cost of childcare, both from um, encouraging employers or providing incentives for employers or building or landowners to think about ways that they can support access to childcare and also think about ways that we can really give families tools um, to help them afford that childcare and or you know, plan for it or pay for it in ways that provide some relief on their family budget. So those are all solutions we're talking about with our business partners right now. And, you know, lots of ways to, to tackle it, but certainly the real estate side and, and looking at, you know, addressing those barriers to entry through regulation are some of our first steps right now. Well, it seems to me that could be another CSI study as to what are our options and, and the trade-offs and the economic benefits of what you're talking about. Well, thank you both for your time and incredible insights on this topic. I hope that policymakers and business leaders will take the time to really consider the value of maintaining the, the level of uh, participation rate for women in the workforce by actually increasing it. That's what we need to achieve. We need to also consider how that labor participation rate for women has been impacted by the pandemic. And I don't think very many people understood it as well as you've clearly stated today, and we appreciate that. 
To learn more about CSI's research, uh, we encourage you to go to our website, commonsenseinstitute.co.org, to find the full report. Actually, all you need to do is type in Common Sense Institute and it'll come up for you and you can see it. The full report on 10 months in the COVID-19, Colorado labor force impacts, and you can learn more about EPIC too by going to coloradoepic.org. Heidi, Nicole, are there any other final words you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Heidi? I would just say everybody hang in there. The vaccination's rolling out. We've got a light at the end of the tunnel. We've all been in this together. And I do believe that things are going to look up soon. And I think we're going to come out of it with a lot of knowledge, a lot of innovation, a lot of great ideas on how to solve problems that we've been grappling with for a long time on the women's front. So, Well, we certainly are having all sorts of new trends start to materialize. I'm sure it'll happen with regards to the on the women's front too. Uh, Nicole, any final words from you, please? Yeah, to my fellow working moms, hang in there. <laughs> it's been a crazy, bumpy road, but you know we're all going to get through it. And you know, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about how essential childcare is really to our economic infrastructure, just like roads, bridges, communication networks. You know, childcare is really key and essential to our economy and really our recovery after COVID. Not only that, because we know that children's brain development is, you know, tremendous in the first five years. We want to make sure that they are also set up to succeed for their own educational and career success down the road. So thanks again. Well, thanks to both of you. And for those uh, male members of our listening audience, I want to thank you for giving us further insight into an issue that I'd like to think that we're aware of, but we have now a, a, a deeper sense of what the issue is and how we might participate in helping resolve some of this. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.